Earlier this year, uh, Supreme Court Chief Justice John Roberts spoke at his son's all-boys middle school graduation. Big group of eighth graders. His talk has been titled uh, by the media, I Wish You Bad Luck. And here's an excerpt. From time to time in the years to come, I hope you will be treated unfairly so that you will come to know the value of justice. I hope that you will suffer betrayal because that will teach you the importance of loyalty. Sorry to say, but I hope that you will be lonely from time to time so that you don't take friends for granted. And when you lose, as you will from time to time, I hope every now and then that your opponent will gloat over your failure. It's a way for you to understand the importance of sportsmanship. I hope you'll be ignored so that you know the importance of listening to others. And I hope you will have just enough pain to learn compassion. Then he said this, whether I wish these things or not, they're going to happen. And whether you benefit from them or not will depend on your ability to see the message in your misfortunes. That's a good word. The message in your misfortunes. So what is that message? Well, I think the answer is found in a psalm that I want us to consider this morning. Psalm 61 by King David of old. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn there. Psalm 61. You'll find that on page 478 and 479 of your church Bibles. And Psalm 61 deals with a major misfortune in David's life. And we're going to learn what that misfortune was and the message that David learned from it. Because the message that he learned from his misfortune, I believe, is a message for us today. So follow along with me as I read Psalm 61. To the choir master with stringed instruments of David... So David, enough time has passed that he can look back on this experience and write a song about it. This hurt, this misfortune. And it can become a part of the worship service with the community of God. And so it begins to the choir master with stringed instruments of David. Now verse 1. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. And then there's that phrase, Salah. Do you see that in italics? That means pause, ponder, think about that. For you, O oh God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. So will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day 
after day. This is God's word. So let's talk about the misfortune here from Psalm 61. This prayer that involves a time in David's life when he faced a major hurt, a major misfortune. And it deals with his son Absalom's rebellion against him. An insurgency. Write down 2 Samuel 15 to 18, and there you read how David's own son, Absalom, staged a coup. So Absalom is the enemy that David is thinking of in verse 3. Think of it. Your own son as your enemy. Absalom forced David to flee Jerusalem, and not just by himself, but with uh, those who supported him. Families. Soldiers, men, women, children. He became a refugee. He was in exile from the capital, from the tabernacle, out in the wilderness. And 2 Samuel 16, 14 says that they arrived at the Jordan River weary. Now let's take a look at this map because at the bottom of the map, Jerusalem, the capital, was where David was when Absalom forced him out. But then he had to flee to the Jordan River, which is in the middle of the screen, or just to the right of Jerusalem. And he eventually found his way to a town along another river. Uh, the town was called Mahanaim. Mahanaim. Uh, let's say that together on three. One, two, three. Mahanaim. Let's do that again. One, two, three. Mahanaim. So David was in exile outside the capital in a town called Mahanaim, but Absalom was on the hunt because Absalom was going to remove his father uh, by life or death from the throne. An immense amount of pressure David was, was under. If he quits, everything collapses. And you can just sense the pressure in these verses Verse 2 speaks of David feeling that he's from the end of the earth. Well, Mahanaim is not at the end of the earth geographically from Jerusalem, but it certainly feels that way. He's feeling distant from his home and from his place of worship, from the community where spiritual activity and the word is read. And the physical weariness has become emotional weariness. And heart weariness. David's heart feels faint. Verse 2. My heart is faint. David feels like passing out. I mean, he has enemies. He's homesick. People are depending on him. And he's heart weary. He's heart weary. I'm thinking of the leader who once prayed this prayer. Lord, I am weary of the adversary. Weary of relentless expectations. Weary of not having a life of my own outside the organization. Weary of being second-guessed. I'm weary of silly questions from those with no self-awareness. I am weary of armchair quarterbacks. I am weary of people-pleasing. I am weary of explaining things over and over. I am weary of acting cheery and positive when I feel tired and confused. I am weary. Anybody here ever felt that way? Well, that's David. 
Last weekend, Sarah and I saw a movie about the life of Winston Churchill, The Darkest Hour. Fascinating movie. I love history. And, uh, you know, spoiler alert, the Allies win. (laughs) But the film depicts a very small window of time highlighting the crushing pressure of the Third Reich bearing down on Britain. And the initial exuberance of Churchill getting to lead the nation as prime minister quickly succumbs to the brutal pressure of his current reality. I mean, Europe had fallen. Britain stands alone. There in the English Channel, I mean, the closest between France and England was 23 miles. That's how close the Nazis were to Britain. There was pressure, pressure to protect, pressure to lead, pressure to provide. And on top of that, it it was also pressure from within because not all of Parliament shared Churchill's perspective about how to deal with the Nazis. Talk about loneliness and talk about feeling faint of heart. And I can already tell that many of us have felt faint of heart over the past year. On January 1st, you pictured 2017 looking one way, but now at the end of the year, December 31st, it's totally different. And you feel like you're in Mahanaim. You feel like you're displaced. You're in exile. You're on the run. Someone's after you. You're away from the familiar, and you're exhausted, and people are depending on you And someone like John Roberts has the gall to say, I wish you bad luck. I hope this happens to you so that you will see the message of your misfortune. What message does David need to see in the middle of his misfortune? Could it not be what we read at the end of verse 2? Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Now, let me show you a rock. Now, that's a rock. That's not in Israel. It's in Arizona. But I was able to go up the path to get to that rock with um, Jim Lopez from our church. And, I mean, it's really high getting up to Tom's Thumb And then, I mean, once you're there, this is really, really mammoth. And at almost the tip top of that picture, there's just barely a faint, it looks like a very faintly green shirt, speck. That's a repeller. It's a climber. No ropes. (laughs) That dude is making it all the way up. Oh my goodness, lead me to the rock higher than I. So here's the big idea. This is what David is teaching us here. And it's the prayer that God loves to answer. I can't, you can lead the way. That's the message of Psalm 61. I can't, you can Lead the way. Let's say that together on three. One, two, three. I can't, you can lead the way. One more time. I can't, you can lead the way. 
That's the big idea of Psalm 61. Could the blessing of a faint heart be that it teaches us to lean more and more on the Lord, to seek higher ground? Higher than what? Well, higher than himself. David knows that he's in over his head. And he knows that if he's left to his own resources, he's done. Because the fact is, misfortunes happen. Insurgencies occur. And David could spend all day long trying to go back over and replay what happened that brought him to where he was. But really, what he needs more than anything at that moment is high ground. Firm ground is not enough. David needs high ground. So he doesn't have time to ponder. He needs a ladder. Because the only thing that's worse than leading with a faint heart is leading with a faint heart on low ground. So David is teaching the importance of elevation awareness. David knows where he is. He knows that he's not where he needs to be. And so he's not in denial. He understands the severity of his situation, starting with himself. Lead me to the rock that is higher. Lead me to the place where I can lead your people. I can't. You can. Lord, please lead the way. David needs higher ground for a better perspective. And so he doesn't ask God to fix the perspectives of others. One of the first words of a blame shifter is the word they. They didn't, they couldn't, they wouldn't, they shouldn't, they were unfair, they. They takes away from I. And David starts with himself. He needs to be led. And so he prays for higher ground, realizing that God himself is the higher ground. Verse 3, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. So he's mixing metaphors. Just relax, English teachers. David is standing on high ground, and he's under God's shelter. He's learned that the Lord himself is both stone and refuge, tower and tent. And in this way, uh, Psalm 61 and 62 and 63 are a short playlist. Uh, they deal with the same themes, the security of God as the high tower and the safety of God as the protective shelter. That's why Psalm 62 two says, God alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. And Psalm 63, 7 says, In the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. So in, in you and with you and under you and on you, Lord, I'm safe and strong and secure and protected, as are your people. And verse 4 says, Let me dwell in your tent forever. David wants to dwell in the tabernacle of God. The tabernacle. The temple had not been built yet. That would be Solomon's task. So the tabernacle was the place of worship for God's people during David's reign. But David can't get to the tent of worship, can he? He's not in Jerusalem. So how's he going to get close to God? How's he going to get on high ground? How's he going to find shelter? It's through prayer. Prayer brought David to the tabernacle presence of God. 
Prayer restored David's soul. Prayer strengthened David's heart. Prayer served as the harness and the helmet and the uh, carabiners and the quick draws and the ropes and the shoes to get David to higher ground. And prayer gets us there too. Now let's get practical here for a moment. What would it look like for us to have a prayer life that lifts us to higher, firmer ground? Well, let's let Psalm 61 tutor us because I sometimes feel like we get stuck in our prayer life um, because, you know, we either don't know what to say or how to say what we want to pray um, or we just want to avoid mind-numbing repetition, okay? So on the one hand, we want to avoid mind-numbing repetition, um, but on the other hand, we feel frustrated over what we sense is a lack of originality in our prayer life. And you know, we don't want to be rote, but at the same time, it's hard for what's in our hearts to come out of our mouths in prayer. Here's where the Psalms help us. The Psalms teach us to pray these songs. Recite the songs. Ah, you know what? You can still be authentic in your heart without feeling like you have to be original. Let the Psalms tutor us. And so it sounds something like this. Just go through each verse of these Psalms. Verse 1, oh Lord, I want to talk to you. God, hear me. God, I'm feeling distant and weak. God, please take me to higher ground. God, I want to be, I want to be on firm footing, but I also want to be under protective shade. I want to be high and out of reach from the enemy. I want to be in your house, Lord. I want to be in your house. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. So David is asking God to receive him as a welcome guest of honor in the sanctuary of worship. In other words, David's inviting himself over to God's house. Why? Because he wants God. And then that phrase, Selah. Think about that. Think about that. In, you know, invite yourself over to God's house because God wants you to be with him. He pauses from the pre pressure and he goes to the Lord and he realizes from high ground that, you know, it's not going to get fixed overnight. He's in Mahanaim. That's over 100 miles uh, from Jerusalem. That may not sound like a very far distance with us in our cars, but David, I mean, the fastest that he could go was the slowest among his entourage, foot speed. He's a distance away. It's going to take time. Gary and Carol's story with Celebrate Recovery did not start when they decided that it would be a good idea to start a ministry at Windsor Road. Their story began when they realized that they were on low ground and the only way out was up. The higher, firmer, stronger ground to the place where the evil one could not reach them. And look, a decade later, verse 5, for you, O God, have heard my vows. Uh, verse 1 begins with, Hear me, Lord. Listen to my prayer. And verse 5 transitions to, O God, you've heard my prayer. 
You've heard my vows. You've given me the heritage of those who fear your name. So, you know, we look at this from the other side of history. But David didn't know how it was going to turn out. And yet he trusted God. And he believed God heard him. That God comes through for him. That God gives the heritage. And what is that heritage? Well, you have to go all the way back to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, where God said, you know, I'm going to give you this land, but I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And through you, all nations will be blessed. I'm going to be your God, and you're going to be my people. So in the middle of a chaotic world of pagan false idols and false gods, in the middle of a, of a, of a idol-worshiping world where tribal deities were location-specific, David does not need to be at the temple to come to God because God transcends the temple and the world. And prayer puts David into the presence of the Lord the one true God. In this sea of uncertainty, there is a tower, a rock, a high ground of security and safety. And this heritage in verse 5, this heritage is also a word that reminds us of history, the history with God's people. And David understands that what's happened to him has also happened to others. There was Abraham, there was Isaac, there was Jacob, Joseph, Moses, there was, there was Job. David's not the first to feel the pressure of leadership. David's not the only one to be led to high ground. God has done this to others. David's not the first to be betrayed by his family. David's not the first to feel faint of heart. David's not the first to be displaced from home. He's not the first, and he won't be the last either. I'm not the first pastor to deal with cancer. And I won't be the last. And I'm not the first person whose father-in-law died in uh, October and then whose father died in November and this is a sinful, broken, fallen world. And when we open the Bible and we see Psalm 61 or when we look at the life of Samson or when we go to the Gospels to the Advent Scriptures of Jesus' birth, we're not just looking at these separate events. We're looking at a story, an overarching narrative because the Bible is just that, an overarching story. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Creation. God created this world. And the man and the woman had a perfect relationship with him and with one another and with their world. And then an intruder came in Genesis 3 and baited the man and the woman to commit insurgency against their loving creator. And that's why this world's broken. And we understand the phrase total depravity to mean not that you're as sinful as you could be, 
but that there is nothing in all of creation that remains untouched by sin. Creation, fall, redemption. God is faithful. He wants to reverse the curse of Eden. And David is a part of God reversing the curse of Eden. God's using David. He's using this misfortune. And on that basis, David can confidently ask God for his help in fulfilling the task that David knows God wants him to fulfill. So verse 6 says, prolong the life of the king. Who's the king? David's the king. May his years endure to all generations. In other words, David prays that his life and the generations who follow him, that his lineage may have lasting influence. And we know that to be true because David's descendant was none other than Jesus. Psalm 61, 6 and 7 are another way of saying what the angel said to Mary, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Don't you see? David can't get to the tabernacle so the tabernacle has to come to David. For the word became flesh and pitched his tent. That's what that means. And dwelt among us. Isn't that Christmas? That God has come to us. Verses 6 and 7 lead us to a king who is God and who sits before God. Verses 6 and 7 lead us to, to the word who was with God and was God. No wonder verse 8 ends with such hope. So will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. Isn't this something? Psalm 61 began with a weary, faint-hearted mortal in over his head, but in fervent, no denial, totally vulnerable prayer. I can't, you can, lead me. David found strength. He found hope. He found in his faint heart that God was his high ground. God was his tower and shelter and shade. He found he could trust God. He found the God who embraces pain and misfortune and does not waste it. Have you found that today? He found prayer to be the one activity that can bring us to the Lord. And he found community, didn't he? The first part of chapter 61 deals with David individually and personally. But the later section, speaking of heritage and covenant people, those who fear his name, David realizes he's not alone. He's not alone. He's not the only one who fears the name of the Lord. He is a part of a larger story. And that's why his heart goes from, from faint, verse 2, to singing the praises of God's name in verse 8. Question. Can your misfortune, whatever it is, reach up and grab you by the ankle and pull you down? Is the rock that you're on out of the enemy's reach? Or are we too easily satisfied with that which is lesser, lower ground? I 
can't help but think of these words by C.S. Lewis in his book, The Weight of Glory. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Well, Psalm 61 takes our tastes to a higher level, takes us high on the rock of Jesus. Verse 7 leads us to David's descendant, the true rock, the rock of which the Hebrew writer speaks in Hebrews 12, 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels and festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. Now that's a rock. And then the Hebrew writer says, do not refuse him who speaks. There's no other way other than Christ. I can't, you can, lead me. That's Psalm 61. The journey of a faint heart to a heart of hope because it stands on Christ alone. Amen.